We come to God's Word, and uh, again we're coming into the book of Revelation, although I'm going to read from Ephesians to start with. And so if you've got your Bibles and you have uh, them, then I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Tremendous words, words that I have to admit are some of my favourite. And hopefully as I begin to speak, you'll begin to see why the relevance of them this morning in the context of what I want to speak to you about from Revelation. We're looking at living life with the end in sight. That's the overarching uh, theme of these Sundays. But we read these words in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he he predestined us to be adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfilment, to bring unity to all things, in heaven and on earth, under Christ. We'll stop there. Just a phrase, a couple of phrases actually in in those verses. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Just let that settle just for a moment. Just let that settle on you for a moment. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world. And then later on in verse 9 it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. I've said to you before that uh, this has come out of the sort of questions that I've been asked over the last 18 months. Are you looking forward to your retirement? Well, another question that has arisen in relationship to that one and works alongside it is is very clearly. What plans do you have for your retirement? It's asking the same question, but initially in a different way. It's almost as if, you know, people are expecting you you to have it all mapped out, and there's a plan, and there's a purpose. Well, at the moment, there is no plan other than to retire, but what comes after that is in God's hands still. But to plan. We can think of a diagram, a plan of a building. We can think of planning as a strategy. 
We can think of it as an idea or as a scheme. But it's something that we put in place. And we all plan, don't we, in one way or another in life. You've probably got a plan for this week. It's called a diary. Plan is where you've got to be, what you've got to be doing, who you're going to be seeing, and so forth. I was this morning going to be looking at two little cameos that come in the passages that we've been looking at in Revelation, but I think I'm only going to be doing one. I was going to be looking at God's plan and our prayers. Well, I'm afraid I don't think we should be getting on to uh, our prayers this morning because these themes come through the book of Revelation as you read this, this letter. And so I want to pick up on this theme, God's plan. He chose you before the creation of the world in Christ Jesus. So God's plan. Last week we were looking at living life with the end in sight, the victory of the Lamb. And we were discussing and we were talking a little bit about the battle that we find ourselves in. The battle against the devil, the battle against the two beasts that we find in chapters 12 and 13. They were tough reading. It was a tough message. It was a difficult message. But we recognise that life is very much uh, a battle. A battle there that we saw visualised in chapter 12 through these images of a woman, a child and of a dragon. The woman being Israel, the nation of Israel, giving birth to the Messiah, the child. And the dragon being Satan, the one who wants to devour the child, the one who wants to destroy the child. But once that child has been snatched away, once that child returns to heaven and to the presence of God, so the the dragon turns his venom on the church. And he, he pursues, in verse 17 of chapter 12, the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And we were bringing that, that picture and that image and the recognition that, yes, if we're living life with the end in sight, then we're living life within a battlefield. We're living life within a struggle. Things are not straightforward. Things are not easy. Things are not direct, even though we like to think they are. It was um, John Wimber who used to use the illustration. Now, John Wimber somebody who affected, who touched my life in a great way back in the 1980s. And uh, he used to use the illustration. He says, so many Christians come and they join the church and they reckon they're coming on a cruise. And they turn up as if you would on a cruise ship. Yeah, they're carrying their swimming shorts, they're carrying their snorkel, they're carrying their bag of books. And they come onto the docks and they're suddenly confronted with a warship. Because they're not on a cruise, they're in a battle. They're in a battle. And so we looked at that battle and we saw those two beasts that we battle against. The powers and the authorities that Paul speaks about in in Ephesians chapter 6. That that first beast who had the power to conquer. The power to to bind and to bring, to to, to conquer the, the people of God. The second beast who was out to deceive And we saw that within life as it is. And we recognise, don't we, that so much around us 
is based upon power and is based upon deception. But then we looked at also what we do to overcome Satan. And we learned there in chapter, chapter 12 that we overcome the power of darkness by trusting in the blood of Jesus, looking to the cross, telling our story, taking a risk for Jesus, and enduring patiently. Chapter 12, verse 11. They triumphed over him, that is, the dragon, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And then in verse chapter 13 and verse uh, 10, this calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. But there's a little cameo in the middle of chapter 13, which has caught my eye. And it brings a sense of perspective, a sense of hope, and a sense of security. In this verse, we catch a glimpse of the eternity past, and it comes in the phrase, before the foundation of the world, or before the creation of the world. Verse 8 of chapter 13 says, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those whose names, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. A better translation is probably this. All who dwell on earth will worship it, the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The book of life of the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. There was a book before the foundation of the world in eternity past. Eternity didn't begin at creation. Eternity didn't begin Eternity is beyond creation. And this book had a name. And the name of the book was The Book of Life of the Lamb Who Was Slain. Which means that in the mind of the author of this book, in the mind of God himself, the Lamb of God was already slain. The slaying of the Lamb of God was the plan of God before the universe even existed. Before humanity existed. Before history existed. Before sin existed. Before we existed. The plan to save sinners by the blood of the Lamb was in place before there were any sinners to be saved. When Satan, with Adam and Eve's help, introduced sin into the world, he thought he was wrecking the perfect plan of God. But he was a fool. Before the world existed, the plan was a slain lamb as the centre point of history with his foot on the bruised head of Satan. Genesis chapter 3. Satan didn't wreck the plan. He is the one who set it up. 
When we, through Adam and Eve, messed up, God wasn't left scratching his head, thinking, now what do I do now? This isn't what I thought. What I'm going to do now? He wasn't scratching his head, looking for some plan B, and suddenly came up with the idea, I know, I know we'll have a lamb. No. The lamb who was slain has been the central plan right from eternity past. He's been there in the heart and in the mind and in the will and in the purposes of God right from eternity past. Remind ourselves of that verse. And he, all who dwell on earth and worship it, the beast, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The central plan from eternity past. This plan of the slain Lamb is the central act of history. Now if we step back out of Revelation just for a moment, we book, when we step into John's other book, his Gospel of John, we see again the central role of the Lamb. And it's very clear. In John's book, as it begins to open up, we have the character of John the Baptist. And there's John the Baptist who's gathered around his own disciples and he's teaching them and he's speaking to them about the one who is to follow him, the one who is to come. And one day when he's speaking to his disciples, he looks up and he sees a figure coming towards him. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he not only says it once, he says it twice. Because later again he's with his disciples and he says, look, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. John 1, 29 and 35. Very clear. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that we know that the Lamb of God is Jesus. And when John shows the resolve of the Lamb to fulfil the plan, because in John chapter 10, we read that Jesus is speaking about, I am the good shepherd. And he's speaking about the fact that he's prepared to lay down his life for the sheep. But in verse 18, he speaks about this. He says this, no one takes my life from me. That's important to remember. No one. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Hear that? Who has the authority? He does. And to take it up again. This charge I have received from who? My father, my father, from the, before the foundation of the world, God's plan was a slain lamb. And then on the cross, in chapter 19 of John, we watch Jesus, even in the most horrible and horrendous moments of his life, bringing it all to completion according to the plan. 
This is what it says. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, it's important, all was now finished, everything was in place, everything had happened, everything had come about, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfil the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put the sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave it up. No one took it. He gave it up. The lamb was slain on schedule, according to the plan. The central plan for the universe from eternity past and the central act of God in history played out outside the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is the slaying of a lamb. Is the slaying of a lamb. The central plan of eternity past is a slain lamb. The central act of history present is a slain lamb. The central focus of eternity future is what? A slain lamb. You see, history is not about us. History is not about what we do. It's about what God does and what his slain lamb does. As we look into eternity future, the whole song of the universe is the triumph of the slain lamb. Revelation gives us a glimpse through the door into eternity. John so often is saying, and, you know, heaven was opened. And yes, he's going through these cycles of telling us about human history, whether it's the seals or whether it's the trumpets or whether it's the bowls or, or whatever it might be, or whether it might be the symbols. He's going and he's retelling us time and time and time again the story of human history. But there always comes that point where heaven is opened. What's he see? A slain lamb. A slain lamb. He's brought us in the early chapters in chapter 4. He's brought us into the throne room of heaven. And there's someone sitting on it. And that someone is God. And there's the worship around the throne. But the one who sits upon the throne is holding a scroll in his hand. And no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is found worthy to open that scroll. Until the lamb steps forward. Until the lamb steps forward to take that scroll from the hand of Almighty God. Because he has the power to open it. The lamb that was slain. Revelation 5, verses 9 to 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. 
And suddenly the whole atmosphere in heaven changes. It changes from utter despair that no one is found worthy to open the scroll. No one is found worthy to fulfill the purposes of God until the Lamb who was slain from before the foundation of the world steps forward and takes it. And the whole atmosphere of heaven changes. And a whole tsunami of praise and of worship begins to rise there from the heart of heaven, from the very seat of the throne. And it rolls out through the universe. So that in verse 12, millions of creatures are calling out, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And then in Revelation 7, 10, a great multitude that no one could number cried out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. The slain lamb is the central song of the universe forever. The central plan from eternity past, a slain lamb. The central act in history present is a slain lamb. The central focus of eternity future is a slain lamb. But where do we place ourselves in this plan? Revelation chapter 12 and 13 give us two options. We're either worshipping the beast, we're either worshipping the dragon, or we're worshipping the lamb. There's those two options. All who dwell on the earth will worship it, the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. How can I be certain that my name is in that book of life? We get hung up, don't we, about this book of life. You know, that we think, how can God sort of assign some people into this book of life and others not? I think that's the wrong question. I think we need to be asking ourselves, how can I be certain that my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? How can I be certain? John has already told us. We already looked at it last week. There in chapter chapter 12, they overcame him, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and by and they, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. He's placed it there. Revelation tells us that everyone whose name is not in the book will worship the beast. But those who are in the book will not worship the beast. Why not? Because the name of the book of the is the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If your name is in the book, the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ guarantees you eternal life. 
It guarantees for you the all-powerful keeping power of God so that you will not worship any other but the one true God. John, again, in his Gospel, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son into the world that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. The one who puts their trust in the Lamb. The one who commits their lives to the Lamb is the one whose name is in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's our trust, it's our belief, it's faith in the Lamb. And all of this is rooted in eternity past. The names were written in the book before the foundation of the world. We read the same thing in Revelation 17, 18. The dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast. They will marvel at the beast. Is your name in the book of life of the lamb that was slain? You can't know by peeking. You can't go and just turn up the edges. Because Revelation tells us this book will not be opened for us to see until the last judgment. Where the book is opened in Revelation 20, verse 12. Can you know that your name is in the book and that God will keep you from worshipping his contenders? Yes. Remember the people in the book are the saints in verse 7. They are the saints, those who follow Jesus. And remember how Revelation 14, 12 defines the saints. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. How do you know that your name is written in the book of life? By keeping his commands and remaining faithful to him who has called you. Him who has called you to himself. I'm skipping a little bit over my notes. Chapter 17, 14 says, <coughs> this is talking about the beast, they will rage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers. Three reasons. Three reasons as to you know that you can, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He has called you. The cross calls you. The cross calls you to put your faith in him. You've been chosen since before the foundation of the world. Can I say that everyone has been chosen from before the foundation of the world. But not everyone sees it. God's salvation is for all. And I'm not talking about universalism here. I'm just talking about God's grace. 
God's grace was made freely available to all who could see it. But then it's also to the faithful followers. Not just the question of knowing that you're called and you're chosen, it's also whether you're faithful. Whether you continue on that road. In some senses it's a mystery, isn't it? That we could have been in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. That his purpose was that of a slain lamb. And the central point of history is also the song of eternity. You see, the world doesn't revolve around us. The world revolves around the lamb. The lamb who was slain to the glory of God. Amen.